1: Actually I had the first overall pick and I took Chris Bryant and everybody like laughed at me. On varsity.
0: You are listening to the Commissioner's
2: Office. Here's your host, the Fantasy Baseball Commissioner himself. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Commissioner's Office. I'm your host and the Fantasy Baseball Commissioner, Nathan. You can follow me at Dynasty OneStop and find my website and commissioning service at my website that's linked on the Twitter account. Today we are joined by two esteemed guests and members of my 30 Rock Dynasty League, and we'll be back to talk to them after this. Now stepping into the commissioner's office. It's the Paragons of Prospects, Garrett Hampson, Truther, Eric Cross, and the Bryant to his Rizzo, the Albies to his Acuna, the Xander to his Devers, co-host of the Fantrax Prospect Toolshed Podcast, golf lover, and man full of Southern Charm, Chris Clegg. Guys, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me. How's it going? Good. How are you guys tonight? Love the intro, man. I appreciate (laughs) it. That was an exceptional intro. Yes, I love it. It's always always an honor to be joining man. so I'm excited to be, be in the commission office tonight. Excited to talk a little fantasy baseball. Yeah, for sure.
2: So, to kick it off, how did you get into fantasy baseball? I think a lot of the stories are similar sometimes, but Chris, why don't you take this one
1: first? What got you into fantasy? Sure. Well, I played most of my, like, probably all of us growing up. I mean, I started when I was probably three, playing T ball, and then just, you know, growing into coach's pitch, and then obviously little league, travel ball into high school ball. I played through ninth grade and kind of got a little burnout, but the passion for the game never died. I remember, still remember my first Braves game pretty vividly. When I was young, my grandfather took me and just remember so much about it. So I always had just such a passion for the game. And probably when I was in high school, I started playing just with some friends. It was nothing ever competitive or that serious. We never put money into it. And then 2015, I had a buddy ask me to join pretty highly competitive redraft league that, that he hosted every year and that was the first time I ever played for money and I ended up winning the first year and it just hooked man I, <laughs> I made some some pretty crazy trades that I think actually had the first overall pick and I took Chris Bryant everybody like laughed at me and that was a big I think, year for that and I think it was actually 2016 because that was his big yeah. year so it that didn't turn out MVP too bad season. yeah yeah and so everybody was like what are you doing like why didn't you take him out Mike Trout I was like I don't know I just think Chris Bryant is like <laughs> is is worthy of the first pick and so then I end up with some crazy trades I remember like I traded for uh Aaron Judge right before he just went off and it was like everybody some people tried to veto the trade they said it wasn't fair and I just hit on it and I won and so I got addicted and then slowly I just started adding leagues each year and now it's like a serious addiction where I play (laughs) in far too many leagues but it's great uh the fantasy baseball community is awesome and I am so fortunate to be a part of it and have met so many great people through it so thankfully that that small league turned into an addiction that I met a lot of great people so there's kind of just a short part of my fantasy baseball story yeah the community aspect of baseball or fantasy baseball I think
2: you can only really understand it if you're in it that's Um, true I don't think anyone was like oh it's just a fantasy sport it's like no it's a community for sure Um, I thought when you started you were going to say you started playing fantasy when you were three and I was going to be like wow that, (laughs) that is insane
0: that Georgia Todd little league, you know. Like. <laughs> <laughs> oh
2: man. So how about you, Eric? How did you get into fantasy baseball?
0: Kind of the same setup. You know, I started playing, you know, t ball when I was three, four years old. I played all the way up through into high school on varsity. And just love the game from a young age. I remember growing up watching the Red Sox in the nineties, you know, the Nomar, Garcia Para, Pedro, Mo Vaughn days um so just love baseball from a very young age you know than a lot with my dad growing up and i think the first time i remember playing fantasy baseball i want to say i was 12 or 13 with some friends this would have been like 2002 2003 um quit a couple of leagues with my just friends at school then we started the keeper league in uh sophomore year of high school that we still have going now so now we're in the year like 16 or whatever it is um most of the same group of guys still so um but yeah, just just loving you know loving baseball from a young age and um, it, having that aspect of like oh hey I like would like to make some moves and kind of see when I when I got older and I kind of knew the game more and like the you know the structure of GMs and coaches I was like man I'd love to just make moves and then you know finding fantasy baseball and probably I think it was Yahoo I found first found it when I was you know in middle school and um, got some got some friends together started playing and just loved it ever since and I started every year I think I added more and more leagues. Um, to the point where I'm in double digits every year at least. Um, so, yeah, it's, just, it's, so, it's been so fun. Like Chris said, the fantasy baseball industry, it really is, you know, top-notch. And Having the chance to interact with these people and then meeting a lot of them at, you know, the first pitch events in Arizona last fall and then Florida this spring right before the pandemic started. I remember actually being in the Tampa Bay airport at 6 a.m. with my freaking coffee. Um, scrolling through twitter and that, that was when like the first two cases in the tampa bay area were reported so um, that was right right before corona really broke out but yeah the community is just a great community um, they rally around each other help each other out you know always help people grow so uh, it's, it's it's been a blast just to you know pl- play fantasy and now and write about it too yeah for sure
2: okay so that's how both of you got into fantasy sports fantasy baseball um, I'm curious how you developed from that to sort of the type of work you guys do now, writing at fan tracks, doing all the prospects analysis. There's a lot of people who play fantasy baseball who don't get that deep into the analysis and rely on people like you for it. So how did you get there? Start studying all that, uh, really get into that.
0: Yeah. So with me, it started out, I had wanted to do a little bit of writing on the side, um, and my buddy, Greg, who, um, he got the fan tracks, like the weekly email, uh, whatever newsletter you, you can call it. Um, he sent, they put out a thing back when they started the HQ side, uh, almost four years ago now, it was like March of uh, 2017. And he's like, Hey, uh, this Fantrax place is looking for some writers. And I'd only played one league on Fantrax at that time, um, which was a, believe it or not, a fantasy EPL soccer league even though I know nothing about soccer it was like my buddy was doing it he's like hey I need one more I'm like sure I'll set my line up I don't I know two players in the entire league but um so that was actually my first league and then on on fan and yeah he sent me the um he forwarded me the email that they were looking for writers and I submitted a piece on uh an Austin Meadows breakdown when he was still one of the uh, top prospects in baseball back in the pirate system that was my first ever article on fan actually and um Yes, and then started with Fantrax, and and there ever since. Also, you know, wrote for Fantasy Pros for a little bit as well, um, back in 2017, 2018. But uh, yeah, and just helped them grow the site to, to what it is now. So that I'm the only one left from the original group of people, actually. Um, now that Tim Wagner has uh, has moved on, but uh, yeah, just been staying there and. Growing as a writer, learning as much as I can from people in the industry, both in you know the fantasy side and the prospect side, which is another great community as well. Um, the prospects community, and you know, a lot of great people are there to help you learn um, and critique your help you critique your own scouting eye and whatnot. So, um, yeah, it's been slowly, slowly grinding and putting out a lot of content. And you know, you, you got to find that you know that threshold, that fine line between like quality of content and quantity. And once you find that, you can really really do some good work so um yeah it's been grinding ever since and I love doing it so I, I don't mind saying that these late nights writing articles. I just love love baseball and love writing about it so th- it doesn't feel like a second job at all
2: nice yeah Fantrax has certainly grown so much I think oh, we yeah. flipped the leagues that we had on Yahoo over th- almost three years ago now and never looking back especially for Dynasty
0: it is in my opinion the only option Oh, absolutely but, absolutely and then the yeah. hq side i i don't i don't see the numbers for the the platform side of it like i don't know how many users are on the platform mm-hmm. but i think definitely having the hq content side really help you know, drive some traffic and that was one thing you know tim always preached was you know we the overall goal yeah we didn't want to get page views and whatnot but you know we got to try to drive people to use the Fantrax platform as well and i think it's having a uh, presence in the content side whether it's you know written work or podcasts mm-hmm. um, definitely, definitely helps like hey i'll oh, Fantrax is a nice fancy platform too. So um, I think think having the HQ side up and running definitely helped the uh, platform side as well. Yeah, yeah. And I don't even
2: get sponsored to say that. I just think it's true.
0: (laughs) So Chris, how did you kind of
2: grow from winning some money in high school to writing for Fantrax?
1: Yeah, so my interest really started with TGFBI. And so I kind of got bored with some of the leagues I was playing. And I saw this league called TGFBI and I was like, be pretty cool to play against like these guys that I read their work and I was like maybe I should try this and so like I started this little blog like last probably late 2019 and I wrote a couple things I did some positional previews and then in late February I saw that Michael Simeon was he was looking for writers for an SP streamer site and I was like man it, that's a good site like it, I thought that site was going to take off because he had done a lot of good things last year I started really reading his work and so I just applied and sent some sample work you know I had no experience other than just writing this little blog and then it just happened to work out and so I started writing for him and from there it's kind of history you know I fortunately through through your league actually I met Eric and saw that Fantrax was looking for some writers this and so uh, we connected and ended up working out. And man, I, I am absolutely blessed to be at Fantrax for sure. It's funny because i always looked up to Eric and his work. And we, we even pulled up some tweets from like 2018. I was, (laughs) I was the guy that like sent Eric like (laughs) trade questions and stuff for dynasty. And so now being on a podcast with him and writing with him is just a real honor. And so it's super cool to be able to do that. And, um, no thankful for the opportunity for sure to be, be with you and work with you. But I just think it's cool how it all worked out. And, uh, Man, just grinding. I think I was looking at the numbers. I've done sixty-three Fantrax articles now since uh, July. <laughs> Dang! So freaking grinding. It's been yeah. a blast. And so, like you mentioned, it's it's hard to find the balance sometimes with quantity and, and quality. But when you find it, you just just do it and enroll roll with it. So man, it's been really cool just to see my growth. And it's honestly only because of the support I've gotten. Like if if Michael had never taken me on in the first place and promoted me. And I would never be where I was today. And so him giving me that opportunity was real special to me also. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: Uh, So like you mentioned, you guys are both in the 30 Rock League. Um, Last episode, we talked to Jordan. So the listeners know kind of the complexities of that league and how deep it is. Um, So we're drafting or trading right now between our first and second years. Last year, you guys ended 22nd and 30th, respectively, between Chris and Eric.
0: Thirtieth is putting it nicely too. I was thirtieth by a freaking mile. If I remember, <laughs> that was all going according to plan, though. I'll say that.
2: Yeah. So according to plan, what was the plan going into the draft in the last year
0: for that? So with it being such a short season, and I knew a lot of people were going to try to win now, but I was like, it's such a crazy season. Even if you have a stacked team, you could finish middle of the pack in, in a two month season. Mm-hmm. So I quickly, I was like, all right, let me see how the draft board falls. And quickly, I saw everybody was going win now, so I was. I already had. I forget. I think we were like third round in. I'm like, no, I'm. I'm just going full like win later mode. Got a ton of prospects, and now I'm turning, starting to flip those prospects into major league talent. Like I've acquired uh, Chris Bryant recently, Javier Baez, um, Michael Conforto, which I then in turn flip for Trevor Bauer. So I'm starting to add those pieces to maybe make myself a contender maybe not quite this year um maybe like next year but yeah so definitely won't try to go full rebuilds and I made some other trades as stockpile prospects especially mid-season for pieces I was like all right here I got this piece for you give me some prospects and now flipping those for for better major league pieces so um it's kind of went according to plan I didn't think I finished dead last but you know it was definitely a win later mode after I saw how the uh, draft board was going to go early on in that initial draft
2: yeah, yeah. and if i'm remembering correctly did either of you bid for the invisible hand
0: i did not i yeah i don't think so
1: um i usually
0: don't i don't don't know why i've never i've never been one to like as i don't want to you could get that first pick and all great you have a cunha or you have soto or whoever you take up there but it's like at what at what cost you know i think the person that what was the highest? They lost, like, half of like, their keepers. Yeah, it's up. the
2: team Jordan took over. He's keeping 18 next year. Yeah, it's, I was like,
0: yeah. <laughs> I was like um, that's that's just tough. That's we don't have all the depth and the prospects. So, yeah, it's great you have a stud player, but, you know, at the same time, like, I have Kyle Tucker and, you know, 30 additional keepers, so.
1: Oh, we got yeah. the obligatory Kyle Tucker mention it. <laughs> got to get that in. Uh, so, so, now you're going to get the first overall pick in – is that not how – no, in because 2022? we delayed the first. No, it'll just be next season
2: standings. Um, oh, dang. Yeah, dang. yeah. I know. I tried figuring that out too. I was like, "Do I get Elijah Green?" I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> "Well, you could probably try to trade for it now if you can project who's going to end last." But, That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah I you tried, tried to Scherzer in the third, Eric, <clears throat> and then just completely changed directions.
0: Yeah, and I ended up trading Scherzer to Jake, Jake Devereaux during the draft. Yeah, for I'm getting Dustin May. Who mm-hmm. I have since traded again, um, <laughs> I forget who else I got. Did I get Tucker? No, I didn't get Tucker on that deal. Now Jake wouldn't never have drafted Tucker. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I remember. Tucker. It was Dustin May and some other some other younger, younger pieces. I forget who. It was. Did take Tucker? Oh,
1: Waterloo, Michael did. That's what did he? Him. Where did he go? Third round. Dang man, I wish I could have third round of a thirty team. That's nice. <laughs> you know and i will always go back to my first five tool appearance and i told everyone to buy low on kyle tucker in Dynasty. and jake <laughs> laughed at me jake laughed at me and told me that i was dumb he just kidding he didn't say that but i look good on that one you did jake jake just can't admit that he loves tucker
0: like he put him in he did a tweet where he put him fifteenth in his dynasty OBP outfield rankings. So he, he's getting there, but he he will not admit that he's gonna fully buy in on, on slowly. Oh, the- even the- in the chat today, yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> he can't hit breaking balls.
0: <laughs> He'll find the one uh, thing, right? Yep, yep.
2: So, Chris, what was your approach? Um, had you ever done a league this deep before,
1: or? Yeah, I was in another 30-team league that I took a team over, so I didn't draft okay. it originally. Um, and so this was my first time actually, like, drafting other than doing – and actually yeah, probably my first time actually doing drafting a 30-team. I've since done the TDBC. I think that's what it's called. Yep. But um, <laughs> I went complete win now. I had the 11th pick, and I was so set on getting Tatis at 11, and then he got mm-hmm. sniped at 10. So I took Lindor. And then I thought that I was getting good value on Altuve in the second. I was like, that's not bad. I forgot what pick number it was, but he fell. I think it was in the 40 range. Like, okay. And I went Springer third. And then I took Spencer Howard, which, you know, I was like, okay, I'll get a young piece that will come up this year and and also be long-term value. Oscar Mercado, that was bad. <laughs> bad, bad, didn't work out. That was just really bad. Lance <laughs> McCullers, you know, he was up and down. Hunter Dozier, Josh James. And then well, I did hit on Corbin Burns. But anyway, like that you just, just skipped Sam Hilliard there. Yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> how, the Rockies, we don't speak of <laughs> what they do with young players. He's still not going to play, even though they got rid of Dahl. That's, they still won't commit to play him. Well, tweet, You
0: know how many people tweeted at me after the that Dahl? Like, I literally had either in a comment or a retweet, or it was like 12 to 15
1: people were just like, oh, I bet you Aaron Cross is happy. Uh, I don't how – when he's in the – Opening day lineup, I'll be happy. They'll re-sign Kevin Pillar, and then they'll oh, trade Arenado and sign Michael Franco to play third. So it just yeah, it's, it's just not going to work. But So I went complete <laughs> win now, and it, it completely bust. Like, I shouldn't have gone this strategy. And then mid season, I was like – I was in the 20s. I was actually like 27th when I decided to tear down. And I actually got better after I tore down. I'm not sure why I was trying Probably to other compete. people got worse. Right. I was trying to compete with Eric for last place because in my brain I was like, Oh, I can get that. I knew that the 2021 draft was inverse standings, but I was like, maybe for 2022, I'll get that pick, you know, but it didn't work out. I got better somehow. And <laughs> since this, since the off season, I was like looking at it. I'm like, you know what? I've got some prospects. I think I can flip for something. So I've made a couple moves. I still want to make more, uh, I think I'm going to go the competing route if anybody in the league's listening and wants any of my prospects, you know, come at me. I'll, I'll gladly deal them. Cause I've watched, I watched what Eric did and I watched Eric get some awesome deals. I'm like, dang. And so I was like, you know, and it made me really rethink this. And I was, I've chatted with some people about it. I'm like, I think that sometimes we value prospects too highly in dynasty leagues because of the fact that, and I know Chris Bryant's down, you traded Christian Robinson for Chris Bryant, right? Yep. All right. So, Christian Robinson obviously is extremely high ceiling, but pretty low floor guy at his peak. I would still say Chris Bryant is probably better at his peak. We saw Chris yep. Bryant's peak. Christian Robinson will never hit that. That's one, Bryant, one
2: 2016 pick Chris Bryant
1: right there, right? There you go. <laughs> there it is. And so I was like, man, people value prospects too highly. I'm like, I'm just going to try to flip all these guys, you know, and I obviously didn't have the, the prospect pool you did, but I'm going to attempt to do that a little bit. And, Made a couple trades to get some pitchers to bolster up the pitching staff. Try to buy low on a few guys, but we'll see how it goes. Need some few more bats, but. That that was exactly my strategy was, especially a lot. Of, I traded a lot of like the low level guys Where like, for one example,
0: was Luis Matos. I traded them. I think the Javier Baez deal. I can't remember, but you know, Luis Matos, we talked about him Chris um, last week on the tool shed where it's super high upside could be at a, you know, one of the top prospects in baseball in the next year or two. But he's still a few years away. There's a chance he never makes it into the majors. Like, people think, like, you know, the Christian Robinson-Chris Bryant deal. Yeah, Robinson's got super high upside, could be an all-star caliber outfielder. But that's a 90th-plus percentile potential outcome. Chris Bryant, yeah, obviously he's kind of fallen off the last few years. But he still has a chance to be, you know, a very good hitter in, in baseball if he can bounce back. So I'll take the potential for him to bounce back maybe not necessarily to his MVP levels, but still, you know, a two eighty, twenty five, thirty 25, 30 home run guy, as opposed to Robinson hitting his peak. So it's, you know, people, and I, I've been guilty of it too, Overvalue my prospects. I think we all have to a degree. Um, but yeah, especially the, the younger guys that have, you know, a long ways to go. If it was, you know, a lot of these, if I was trading like, you know, Adley Brushman, okay, that's a little bit different. And I did trade Bruceman in the deal actually. That but, was the yeah. Mato's deal
2: too. They're in the same deal.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, they were. That's right. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of those younger guys that you know people love the upside, but at the same time, there's a chance they never make it. They could, you know, flail out and high. Yeah, you never know. It's so much, mm-hmm. so much stuff can happen with their development down the road. Um. So yeah, I will definitely trade. You know, a Luis Matos for an established, you know, potential star in Chris Bryant any day of the week.
1: Yeah, we've gotten spoiled by the Acuna's and Tatis and and all these guys and Soto's yep. that have come up and just rocked it, and we yep. forget all the guys that failed that that had their profile, their prospect pedigree and never made it. And so I think that they have really heard our opinion, I guess, of it. And this made me think, I put out a Twitter poll probably a month ago about Robert Poisson, who is yet to debut Stateside. And I just asked in a, in a dynasty league, and I specifically put over the next five years, because I was thinking about TDBC kind of going on. And I was like, who would you rather have Paul DeYoung, who is a boring, but solid contributor or, Robert Poisson and it was literally split down the middle. I'm like, five year three to five years and Poisson might not even He's give like, you for three at least. Right. <laughs> so it's just interesting. We get all the hype. And that's and we're guilty of that. I mean, we we talk about prospects, we hype them up. And so we're all guilty of it. But I think that it, we need to rethink the way we value them in dynasty leagues. But again, I'll take advantage of that, those deals all day. Yeah.
2: Jordan and I touched on this last week. He was saying some of the best prospect people he knows are also some of the most aggressive in trading them. It's like, yep. That's because they know they have <laughs> low floors often. And yep, it's true. So, um, yeah. Do you want to talk any more about the KB K rod trade,
0: Eric, or we've covered a lot of it, but yeah, we, I think we pretty much covered, it, covered yeah. it all.
2: Yeah. So the other trade you made that I kind of wanted to touch on thus far, um, you traded Adley, Luis Rodriguez, Luis Matos to Jordan, who was on last week, for Conforto, Clemens and Huff. And like you said, you flipped Conforto. Um, and I think I was surprised to see you move Adley just because of the closer ETA. Um, so what were you, what was the thought process there? Um, was it all just this year contending or?
0: Yeah, pretty much. I wanted to get a big bat. And that looks like, you know, on paper, that looks like a big prospect call, obviously. Um, and you know, I, I love Luis Matos, Luis Rodriguez as well. Those are two guys that have played what a combined sixty games in the minors. Luis Rodriguez hasn't even debuted yet because of COVID. So again, those are the two guys that are super high upside. And I had a bunch of those guys too. The mm-hmm. thing is, like my pro, I still think I would say I, I'm at least top five prospect pool in this league still, mm-hmm. even after these deals. I still got a lot of good names. I think I have probably six or seven guys in my top, in my personal top one hundred still um for, for a 30 team league is pretty solid i think so back i had a lot of these guys a lot of the younger you know j2 guys the 17 year olds that i could deal and you know i wouldn't have given up adley without getting back a solid catcher because i don't want to be stuck with like the crap depth of so, the catching ranks like <laughs> you know martin maldonado or something like that as my starting yeah. catcher so i was like all right well i'm not super high on sam hoff like there's some power there potential you know 25 homer bat you know which you know and it could be a you know top fifteen catcher or something like that. So right. obviously it's not he's not Adley, and it, that could come back to bite me, especially if Matos or Elrod hit on their kind of ceiling or get close to it. That'll be one I regret. But like I said, I'm just banking on there's so much time left for those two guys to develop. And yeah, losing Adley will probably hurt. He's probably gonna be a pretty damn good player, but at the same time, Conforto is a pretty damn good player right now. So. And there's a chance that mm-hmm. doesn't even reach what Conforto's already done, where he's a, you know, mm-hmm. 280, 40 home run type. So that was okay. kind of my thinking behind that. And at least yeah. getting Huff back helped a little bit. <laughs> right.
2: And you turned Conforto into Bauer, so that certainly doesn't yep.
0: hurt. There's my ace.
2: Yep. Um, so, Chris, you've made a couple deals this offseason, too. Uh, you made a big one in number of people traded, but also some big names in it. Um also kind of like you mentioned going towards contention um so you gave up spencer howard who we talked about a little bit earlier uh round five pick in 2022 Paven smith christian pache your boy oscar Mercado. oh you got value it's a round pick baby yep and 2022 round four and you got back 2022 round two and three jacob webb chris paddock anderson tejada and griffin canning um, So I think Paddock probably, I guess you're a believer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not as a believer in a sense that he's going to be as good as he was in 2019. Yeah. And I'm also not thinking he's going to be as bad as he was. I think we got to find a good middle ground, which is still probably like a solid like back-end SP2. And we were drafting him as a back-end SP1 last year, which Mm -hmm. uh, with a a minimally proven guy uh, is never going to go over well. But Obviously love Paddock. I think Canning has a lot of upside as well. And in my opinion, the only sting here was giving up Spencer Howard, who I was really high on, but I didn't love what I saw this year in the majors. And so, I don't know. It's it's kind of mixed feelings to give up Howard. But I take Paddock over Howard any day of the week. And then getting the upside of Canning, getting some solid picks, in my opinion, I think that second-round pick, could be pretty valuable there mm-hmm. that I got. And then some just bullpen death with Jacob Webb, who's one of my Braves, and Anderson Tejada, who kind of flies under the radar, but a sneaky, sneaky little guy. I didn't have a shortstop after trading Lindor mm-hmm. earlier in the year. And so that was during last season. So I needed someone to, to really fill that void. So Tejada, at least for now, fills that. We'll, we'll see if we can upgrade that a mm-hmm. little bit more. But actually, I'm intrigued by Tejada. I think he he's not as valued as we think. I mean, he came up last year and hit three homers, stole four bases in minimal plate appearances. So there's, there's some intrigue there, in my opinion, and he should uh, play every day, especially with the news that we got that Elvis Andrews could be out or just on the bench.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: Were there any other trades that you guys made this off season that you wanted to touch on, or
1: those are sort of the bigger profile ones, but. That's actually, you'll see, maybe the only trade I've made. now you got a couple, a couple others. Of this this offseason, at least, I was looking. I may on maybe on the second page. I'm just looking at one page.
2: You had a Crawford trade, the Dan uh, dung yeah. trade. The, I don't know what name you want to use to describe this trade trade. <laughs> <laughs> one of those trades. <laughs> I was like, uh, I guess that guy. Uh, so. I guess that speaks to it's not that interesting. I, yeah. I, I, I you did looked. get Herbito Hernandez, who you guys talked about yeah, yeah. from the last oh, uh, tool shed. Yep. So.
1: Yeah, Jake uh, – I know Jake's high on him also, so it was – I think I got him from Jake. Is that right? Yes, yeah, so I gave yeah. up Dane Dunning for Heriberto and Gyro Solis, who's a little upside arm in the Houston system. Dunning, I think, overperformed a little bit this year, and so I figured it's time to capitalize and sell high – Garaberto is going to be a top 50 prospect by the end of next year. So I like that. And the bat is smoking. So don't care where he plays. Don't care if he sticks a catcher. I'll take the bat all day. Yeah.
2: And I mean, Jake ended in third this year, just six and a half points out of first. So he's trying to supplement those pieces
0: for another. It was a a good move for for both of us, I think. Yeah, for sure. I I actually think one of my favorite deals was one of my more minor ones that the last one I did uh, early in November, I gave up, uh, Drew Waters, who has been consistently sliding down my prospect rankings. Uh, Waters and Matthew Lugo, the shortstop prospect for my Red Sox, and got uh, Raimel Tapia, Victor Reyes, and Jake Lord where I wanted – I needed some speed on my team, and I got two kind of like cheap speed guys that should – you know, Vic- Victor Reyes I think is very underrated, um, so see if he's going to be continuing to hit leadoff in Detroit, which that's not a great lineup, but he's still hitting leadoff. Um, so some solid, you know, batting average and – and steals, totals there, some runs, and Tapia, you, you know, who knows if he's starting. But, you know, that could give me some speed as well. For And for this depth of the league, like, you know, getting to do waters who didn't really fit my team long term. I had a lot of other outfield prospects as well. Like, I got Tucker and Joe Adele. So, I already have a young outfield core, so I could get rid of him. And Oda Rizzi, just some good pitching depth. But it's kind of filled a couple of holes for me without giving up, I think, anything too much that I'll regret later on. So, I kind of like that deal, even though it didn't involve, like, a huge name or anything.
2: Yeah. But, you know, I think that deal, too, kind of illustrates what it's like to be in a league with this sort of depth, too. Um, yeah. You don't get excited about Victor Reyes in a lot of leagues, but in this league, he's a valuable piece. Absolutely. Um, so I'm curious for you guys, in this league or other leagues of similar depth, what do you kind of notice as key differences in how you manage and how you trade and how you do all that sort of stuff? Um, Justin, how that's different than maybe your standard 15-team dynasty or something like that.
0: I kind of think that last trade is a great kind of segue because you got to care about the, the minor deals. Cause while, like you said, nobody is going to be jumping for joy when they trade for or draft Victor Reyes, but he can help you. Like these little guys, especially in this league this deep where you think about it what are like 30 teams like, you know, Chris, you were mentioning how Paddock is a, you know, we're, maybe a back in sp2 i think you probably were mentioning more like in the 15 teamers He you know he's a very good sp2 in a 30 team league where you know he's probably you know what the 35th 40th best pitcher for fantasy i'd say in that range this year how he's being valued that's a high end too in this type of league so mm-hmm. you, you gotta you gotta really kind of look at the perspective of you know the deepness of the league and you now these victor is which maybe you know are barely getting drafted in you know 12 or 15 team leagues at the very end of the draft you know, they can be, you know, your outfielder, you know, your outfield two or three guys. So just, you, you know, add some speed, which is even more scarce in the league this deep. So just, just you know, not, you know, don't shy away from making those little deals that were, it may not be a huge impact on your team now, but could in the, in the long run, those definitely, you do a few of those and that's how you really kind of, you know, help. And obviously you got to have
1: the building blocks, but these little deals definitely help too.
0: Yeah, I completely sure. agree.
1: Yeah. I was just looking at the team that won last year, and it's not flashy by any means, but there's a lot of depth to it. Just okay. a lot of a lot of good role players that got it done. Obviously, like hitting on guys like Jose Abreu, who had a, a monster year, helps. But and even in the pitching staff, I was looking, and you know, Aaron Nola, Keegan Aiken, just a lot of depth guys. Taiwan Walker, Masahiro Tanaka, nothing that's gonna blow you away. But if you have the depth, you can compete. I think yeah, yeah, just having the consistent, good, solid role player guys. When I mean, you think about a thirty team league. This is exactly like we're looking at real baseball, and mm-hmm. so if you have consistent contributors at every position, you can win. Yeah, yeah,
2: Evan at Hey Evan Shaw, who won. Just yeah, it's a solid team. Nothing all that exciting. I mean, Vlad's his highest value player, but wasn't right. even his best performer last year by far.
1: It was It's definitely Definitely Brave, but Eric's getting a flashy team for next year. (laughs) (laughs) I I gotta have if so. My
0: offense right now looks it's Sam Huff, Bobby Dahlbeck, Gene Seguira, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez. Outfield is Adele, Victor Reyes, Kyle Tucker. Then I got like you, Tappy at utility. If God, if Bryant and Baez can bounce back a little bit, if Adele can take that step forward, if Tucker can take another step forward, that could be a really good offense. My pitching, Sony, needs a look. like I got Bauer, and then my second best starter is I don't know Ross Stripling. Um, you know maybe I got you know McClanahan and Batino, but who knows what they'll do this year? But yeah, so I, I could use another a decent arm or two. But um, but yeah, yeah. That, that that offense could be pretty good. So I'm hoping. Yeah, to,
2: I think Brian get those bouncebacks.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean I'm biased, but.
1: Right. <laughs> Brian has also been
2: dealing with a ton of just minor injuries that pop up and don't yep. ever. They try to make him play through it, and so whether he's on the Cubs or not next year, if he's healthy, I'm not expecting 2016. But he'll no. be, but very, still a very good, good. player. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Absolutely agree. Yep.
2: Yep. Okay. Um, so let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we can talk about some prospects. Yay. And we're back to talk about some prospects, which these two guys never do. Um, So I'm curious, you guys now host a podcast on prospects. What got you into the prospect scene, especially? I mean, Dynasty, I think, is a great way to be like, oh, well, I need to know the next generation. Is that where it started and then just kept snowballing or did it come first? Uh, How do you start diving in on that?
0: It actually, it came first for me because, you know, growing up in Maine, uh, the Red Sox double-A affiliate, Portland is 15 minutes from where I grew up and where I still live. So I went to a lot of Portland Sea Dogs games, just double-A um, growing up. And actually, even before they were affiliated with the Red Sox, back when they were with the Florida Marlins back in those days. Um, so like seeing guys like Hanley Ramirez, I saw Hanley Ramirez come through town. Um, just growing up and seeing these prospects and I thought that was really cool to you know see these guys before they became stars it's like I kind of got me interested even even before I started writing for fan tracks I was like I had my own little spreadsheets for my leagues and um, I had, like my I didn't go as deep as I do now uh, as I didn't know as much as I did back then but so I had made my little, little like top 50s top 100s just uh, for my own personal use in my leagues and um, and then had, to, had the chance to start putting those out when I joined fan but yeah, I think it was just seeing the, the like the next big things come up there, which is one of the things I love about baseball is cuz not really you can this is the only sport where you get that. Like yeah, you know, the NBA has a G League, but you know, you're not seeing the next, you know, LeBron James come through the G League, you know. Right. Um with baseball, you you see all these guys, Mike Trout's, you know, Acuña's and Soto's and Tatis's come through and it's what it's one of the things that makes baseball unique where it's not just college or high school straight to the pros. Yeah. um for the most part. So they were that really got my interest, you know, early on seeing the next big stars, and um, really piqued my interest with prospects.
2: Nice. How are you, Chris?
1: Yeah. So again, mentioning that, like, I went to a lot of a lot of games growing up because we lived close, and obviously the Greenville Braves were were here locally before, and now the Red Sox affiliate, Greenville Drive. Um, I was really young, obviously didn't see Chipper or Andrew come through there, but they did play there. But the guys I remember most seeing are like Mookie Betts who came through Greenville and Xander Bogarts, Anthony Rizzo was there. So there's a lot of these big names, like you mentioned, that were there and that kind of was like my first interest in it. Mm-hmm. And then the atmosphere really got me too, because the players you could go interact with the players and they would autograph your stuff and you don't get that at the major league level, which really formed my love for minor league ball. Mm-hmm. And then I really never got analytical in it as much until I started playing Dynasty, and then when I started playing in Dynasty Leagues, I was like, all right, I gotta gotta figure out who these next guys are. Like everybody knows the top guys. And so I really wanted to dive in and figure out these these guys who weren't as highly ranked, but could potentially pay off dividends like that you you don't have to pay up for. And so I started doing a lot of research into that and really diving in. I just just loved it, man. I just fell in love with studying and evaluating prospects and you know I still have a long way to go. I'm still fairly new to evaluating prospects. But mm-hmm. again, it's it's probably my biggest passion in fantasy is just studying and, and looking at prospects. And even though I want to be well rounded in all that I do in, in fantasy analysis, like I would say prospect work is definitely at the top of the list of, of what I enjoy doing. Yeah. So when you
2: guys go to evaluate
1: prospects
2: and make lists or think about it for a trade what tools do you use? What's your process for going about that? Um, cause, I know, Cause I got into dynasty. I could look at a prospect list and, you know, I could read on BP that this guy really liked Juan Soto. And so I got him cheap in a bunch of leagues, but I didn't evaluate Juan Soto. Someone else did. Um, so how do you guys go about kind of diving into that, looking at things? What do you look at? What sites do you visit? Um, if someone wanted to start exploring that more, how would they go about that?
0: Yeah. So you really, the great thing about the prospect world and the prospect industry is that there's so many great people you can learn from and great sites. You can go like prospects live is a great site. You know, you got the fan guys, you know, us here at fan tracks, there's a lot, you know, um, baseball HQ Prospects 365, so on and so forth. You know, just try to, you got to learn, learn from them. just soak it all in and just, obviously we can't do this right now because of COVID, but Getting to the field is just a big thing. Whether it's going to your local high school field or a minor league ballpark, um, just going and watching—you so you can only get so much. You can get some good analysis off of video. I'm not saying that's totally you know wrong, but I do a lot of it myself. But just getting to the ballpark and just seeing these players because you can see stuff that you can't see, you know, in video because obviously you only have like the one angle of video in the minors, you know, go to a game, you can move around the ballpark you can go, you know, sit behind the plate and watch how a slider breaks, or then then you go up the third base side and watch the pitchers mechanics from open face. Uh, so I, I think this really getting to ballparks is, is a huge thing. So I mean, I've been trying to do, you know, as much as I can, you know, with, between my parental duties. Um, but now my kids are going to the ballpark with me, at least my daughter, um, she's eight years old now. So uh, she goes to some games. I mean, my son, not so much, he's only four, but um, but, yeah, just getting into getting the ballpark and just watching the mechanics of, of players. And, you know, something I really look for more now um, I've put a lot more emphasis on with my prospect evaluation, you know, is, you know, the safeness. And we all love the upside. We all love the buzzy ceilings. And I, you know, still back to that into my rankings, absolutely. But, you know, looking at these pitchers, like the Nick Lodolos, the George Kirbys for, for pitchers were like, all right, they, they might not be super flashy. But, man, the floor is so freaking high. Um, these guys that have that command. sort with pitchers. We've seen guys like like Dylan Cease, who I t- we talked about yesterday on um, Five Tool with Alex Fast. Or this, the fastball command has not been there. But you look at with Ladolo and Kirby and, the, and Aaron Nola is a great example of a guy that doesn't throw a you know high nineties, but you know commands is ninety three. So you know command, you know hit tools for for hitters. You know those are better. You know safer bets for production. So you know it's kind of not you know, get going for the super flashy guys all the time and factoring in that safeness and of the hit tools and, you know, command for pitchers and control. Um, so you've seen a lot of very talented people that, you know, fill up flailed out in double A cause they couldn't hit, you know, they had all the power and speed in the world, but you know, when you're hitting 180, what's up, you know, what's it matter? And same thing with pitchers. We've seen guys that just walk everybody, even if they have a, you know, upper nineties heater and nasty curveball, but you know, you can't find the, you know, strike zone. You're not going to go far. So just having that, the, factoring in the floor more and more um, definitely has been something I've been doing lately. Yeah, I think that's important.
1: Think about Forrest Whitley. I mean, Whitley has the best arsenal in minor leagues, no doubt. And he could come up and if he could command and control his pitches, he could be the best pitcher in baseball. Mm -hmm. He's just got that good of stuff. But at this point, you almost wonder, would you rather have a George Kirby over him because the floor? Mm -hmm. And I still love Whitley. I still have him ranked highly, but you have to think about that and factor it in. Would you rather have a safe like SP2 that, or even SP3? I know SP2 is pretty lofty on prospects, but a guy that you know could get to that level or you dream on the guy that could be the best, but has a 70% bust rate. Mm-hmm. So I think that factor is important. And I just look at the guys that are excelling right now, the, the Beavers, the Zach Gallons, all these police act, even who I'm not the highest on, but these guys that are coming up with elite command floors and what they're doing. And so I think that's, it's really important to factor in. You bring up a good point there. Um, from that standpoint, you know, getting in the ballpark is important. I wish I would have had last year to do it. Obviously we didn't have that, but mm-hmm. 2019 opening day, I remember um, in, in Greenville, the drive were playing West Virginia, which is the Mariners organization. So get to see Logan Gilbert pitch, you see J-Rod and Kilnick there. And mm-hmm. it was before J-Rod really took off. Um, and I remember hearing about him before and, and, thinking that he could be something. And then you hear the sound off his bat and you're like, man, this kid's special. I think the hardest thing for me learning is how to take what you watch and put it to a grade. Like you, you watch these guys and you see their mechanics, you see the swing and the hit tool and the power, like how do we put a firm number on the grading scale? And so that's kind of what I've been learning and trying to get better at um, in my is is how to go about doing that just from watching it and obviously mm-hmm. I, we've had to do a lot more video stuff recently because we didn't have a season so video scouting's fine but when you're there and when you see it in person when you hear the sound off the bat man it's just it's crazy and you, you see such a difference and even when you can get numbers too like I know I wish we had more stat cast data available for minor leaguers and I think that would really change the game if we're, we're looking at guys and we see okay like Rodriguez is is hitting balls like 116 miles an hour, which which he did in alternate site. They were reporting some of that, like, dang, like that's some serious raw power there when you can hit the ball that hard. Mm-hmm. You know, so numbers definitely help that, but just seeing it and learning how to evaluate it is so important. And so you mentioned like, what tools do you use the numbers when you have them obviously with like velocity and spin rates on pitchers that's you can get that more more readily available than some of the hitter stats like the the exit velos and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing but just watching I mean you can you can look at Jared Kelnick and see that swing and how beautiful it is and how his great bat to ball skills and the great play discipline you get those things when you watch it live and you see full at bats because I think a lot of times when we're watching video you're just seeing one hit so you're watching this prospect hit a home run. And so you see that, but when you're watching full at bats, you can see really their play discipline, their, their eye for pitches, you know, how they're picking up on it, how they're getting the bat to the ball, or if they fouling off tough pitches, like, you know, keeping, keeping the counts going. And so those things are important, I think. Um, And so just some things that I'm still learning it and and growing in, but things that I really enjoy, just you can't beat the ballpark experience and actually seeing these guys in person. Yeah. One other thing I want to add real quick is, you know, don't be afraid
0: to ask questions. There's so many mm-hmm. people that I've learned from, you know, and even, you know, if people want to ask me questions, I'm always happy to help them out. It's asking questions. There's, there's a lot of people that have been doing this a lot longer than me, you know, like, you know, two that I always go to that I learned a lot from, um, where Ralph Lifshitz of Prospects Live, who is in Massachusetts. So me and him have had a, several games together in the New England area. And then Chris Blessing from Baseball HQ. Just not, don't be afraid to ask questions because it's all something you can learn. And everybody is just so willing to help out and help give you tips on what to look for and, and whatnot. So yeah, definitely don't be afraid to ask questions. People will, will definitely be willing to help you out.
2: Yeah. So if, if you can't get eyes on a guy – especially given this last year and you're trying to rank them, see analysis, where do you get those? Are you looking for scouting reports? Just looking at reports out of those camps and fields. Um, Cause I mean, you can't hit every game. And so you're not going to see the visiting teams of local parks. Like what do you do then to kind of dive deep on, Oh, this guy's command or control or bat speed, especially for the not you know clinic level prospects of the world.
0: Yeah. So uh, and obviously, you know, doesn't matter how many games you go to, you're not going to see everybody. Right. right. Like, like me living in Maine, I can't go see, you know, the Midwest league or the California league or the Southern league or something like that. You know, and Chris sees, you know, he sees the kind of the Southeast part of the country, but he can't get up to the Northwest, you know, it's, it's just life. So even if you get to game every day, you're not going to see everybody. So, but really just finding the people that are like, you know, if looking at Chris Welsh is someone that sees a lot of the Arizona league. Mm-hmm. Um, for you know, he does the the prospects one, which is a great, and he's another one I've learned a lot from too. Welsh is a great guy. Um, this kind of finding that you get to those parts of the country and seeing seeing the video and then they're scouting reports, and you know, be don't be afraid to take from you know, you don't need to go like one person. You know, there's a lot of great people in sites on this in, in this industry, but you know, don't be afraid to like go to a few different places or a few different people, you know, take in the info and then make your own conclusion. You don't have to be like, all right, person A really likes this person, so now I'm gonna like this person. You know, mm-hmm. Some people do that, but you know, take something from what they see, and then maybe someone else sees something that that person doesn't see. You know, so to kind of be willing to broaden your horizons and look at, at different sites and different people, and then gather all your info and then make your own conclusion. All right, so. For reasons A, B, and C, yeah, I really like this guy, so I'm going to move him up my own you know, personal list or whatever. So yeah, just, just looking around and seeing who gets to what part of the country and you know, gets the video out there. You can see all, all the live feeds from different parts of the country. So it yeah, is kind of broadening horizons and taking info from where you can get it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think a lot
2: of people, especially when they start Dynasty, it's, oh, I've got this list or I'll pull lists from these five sites into Excel and I'll average them out and then this is how I like my prospects. which as you're getting started works, but I think for some people, it also becomes gospel of, well, this guy's higher on Eric's list, so I can't trade him for this guy. Right. And not, well, context. And I actually like this guy more than Eric or less than Eric for X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, and I think, yeah, that's a really good point of don't just take a list and suddenly it's everything. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and definitely helps too with people that are do, actually doing the write-ups too. And you, know, you can make, you can, anybody can make like a top 25 list or whatever right. it may be. But, you know, people are actually getting, even if it's just a couple of sentences of context, that definitely can go a long way. And like I so said, yeah, go to your different sites. Like obviously, I love people to look at my stuff and I hope it's people can get some use out of it. But go to Prospects 365, go to mm-hmm. Prospects Live. Yeah, yeah. could you say these sites are, you know, I'm not, I don't think of those sites as competing for page views or anything like that. You know, I want people to get their, the best prospect evaluation they can. And, you know, these people are people I know and respect and have, you know, have a ton of respect for their work that they put out, so you definitely go to different places for sure. Yeah, yeah,
2: um, yeah. So I hope next year, y'all, and we can all get our eyes back on players in the parks. That would be, I hope so, wonderful. You um, so we got a couple listener questions for y'all. Um, Taylor Case was wondering your favorite prospect outside the fan tracks, Top 250 which is Eric's list.
1: So Chris, I guess, has a little harder job here. But yes, yeah, yeah. so I was looking through my personal list and then <laughs> con- like control effing on Eric's list to see if where they were on his list. So oh, I do just do that. That's where the V lookups for, bud. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's V lookups are killer. Actually, X lookup, it's even better. Yeah, there you go, that too. So a guy who actually is not even in my top 250, but I'm very excited about this year is Jonathan Clace from the Mariners Ooh, because he is kind of following the same path as Julio Rodriguez and Noel V Marte. Mm-hmm. He's a little dude. He's five foot eight, but he is bulking up and he's an elite runner. He's got like 70 grade speed and could be above average hit. I think we haven't seen a whole lot of him. He's, he just played rookie ball in 2019, but he hit 300 uh, with a 434 OBP, which is pretty impressive, stole thirty-one bases and two hundred and eighty-six plate appearances, only hit two home runs, but he showed again great plate discipline, walked nearly eighteen percent of the time, which is insane. Hard to judge, you know, we it's hard to judge walk rates at rookie level, but that's an impressive number. But if he continues to bulk up, like I was watching his workout regimen and how bulked he looked, that little dude might hit some serious power because this is what people said about Ozzy Albies. Like, these were the grades Albies got, like 40 power mm-hmm. and plus speed. Uh, this guy's way faster than Albies, no question. Yeah. But I think he could really grow into power because he looks the part. And he, this is the same process that J-Rod followed and, and Noelie Marte is following now where, where they got bulk and just took off. So, Clace is one of the prospects that I'm excited about watching this year. And I, I think he'll really jump up list because he – could be above average or better across the board, in my opinion, as long as he taps into that power, which I don't think he'll ever be a lead in, but if he hits 15 to 20 bombs and steals 30-plus bags, that's, that's very good fantasy value. And he's not being looked at that way in dynasty leagues. And that's what I want to encourage you is, if you're listening, to find these undervalued guys that could have that potential because all prospects have risk. And so we like to go out and get the top guys that we know their names, but these guys pop up every day. Like yeah. look at the Jake Cronenworths who popped up out of nowhere, you know, nobody had Cronenworth on their radar this year. And here we are. And he is, I mean, he jumped up like crazy from nobody knew his name. Right. And so look for these guys and places that guy for me this year that I want to acquire a lot of places, just because I think he'll be a big riser. Nice. Eric, what you got? For me, there's a lot,
0: obviously a lot that I love outside <laughs> my top 250, but you know, one that I've, I tried so hard. He just missed my top of 50 this last update. I tried so hard to get him in, but I just couldn't do it. Um, maybe next update. But um, Parker Meadows from the Detroit Tigers, you know, he's Austin's little brother. And even I remember when uh, Meadow Parker was getting drafted, which I believe was 2017, I want to say. Um, I remember Austin saying, you know, like, my brother's better than me. Like, I remember him saying that or something mm-hmm. to that degree. Um, He's not, you know, not as polished, you know, coming out as his brother was, but you know, he's big kid, big athletic, strong and athletic. I and mean, he's like, I think he's six five two oh five two ten. 205, 210, still, you know, he's 21 now, but still has, could bulk up a little. He already has bulked up a little bit since the draft and definitely has run to do so. Um, add more bulk and he's one of those guys where the hit tool isn't quite there. You know, he's he's shown the plus speed. He's shown, you know, flashed above average to plus raw power that could even tick up a little bit with some added bulk. Um and he in cleaning up some of his swing mechanics. Um but if he can just get that hit tool to around you know around average where he's you know, maybe he's like a 260, 270 hitter in that general ballpark, I think they'll really let the the power speed play. Um, he's he's flashed he's flashed his his tools in the the low minors and you know it really sucks that we missed you know 2020 as he was one i was really really looking forward to seeing um this year he might have even got up to double a which would would have been in my neck of the woods the uh, erie seawolves in the easter league um i I see them a handful of times every year when they come to portland or to manchester new hampshire which is like two hours from me Mm -hmm. but uh yeah he's definitely one where the upside is there but you know he's got one of those lower floors because of the the approach and you know the chase concerns and the overall contact skills, but if he, if he can make strides there, I think he could be a, a really good, you know, power-speed guy. Where he could be, you know, twenty home runs, twenty peak. You know that's probably, you know, best-case scenario, you know, 90th, 90th percentile outcome. But he has those tools to do so if the hit tool improves. So yeah, he's definitely one I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing in uh, in 2021. Nice.
2: So uh, Peter Williams was wondering, is there a prospect position you draft the most besides pitching for depth when you're doing
1: a dynasty draft? Shortstop. 100%. I think naturally it's shortstop because there's so many. (laughs) We were looking at our list and talking about the number of guys. It's like a fourth of the guys in like the top 250 that are shortstops, which is nuts. Um, But honestly, when I draft prospects, I just draft best available. I don't worry about positions and, and let it play out later. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I do this. That's a great point. I
0: do this, the same thing to a degree. But the reason why I said shortstops is, like you mentioned, Chris, there's so many good shortstop prospects. They all can't play shortstop. <laughs> like, it's it's there's only 30 starting shortstops in Major League Baseball. So yeah, maybe, you know, there's a lot of multi-position guys. So It's not like one team has one guy for shortstop. But, you know, <clears throat> like Nwilwe Marte, you know, he's probably got to, Either move over to third, maybe some outfield. The fact that these guys were, you could, if you draft a few of these shortstops, and they moved. You could get a bunch of other positions that come out of it when they move off the position, whether it's because they don't have the arm for the position, they don't have the footwork, the glove, you know, or they, you know, they're just blocked. You know, they have Mm -hmm. a Fernando Tatis, uh, CJ Abrams is a great example. You know, he's oh, he's not great defensive shortstop, but he's not terrible either. But you got Fernando Tatis Jr. and he's not moving off that spot anytime soon. Right. And now you got to find a different spot to play, whether that's second, center field, whatever it may be. But a lot of these guys will move off the position, which is I keep meaning to write an article about this, and it's been on my to do list. Actually, I see I'm got to find time to do it. But yeah, getting a lot of these guys, this is the athletes that can play, you know, multiple spots and can fit over at third or at second or at any in, in the outfield. Um, so then you end up with a, a wide variety of. Uh, positions, But yeah, Chris, But Chris has a great point where, you know, you just go with best available, get, get the talent, but the positions work themselves out later. Cause you, you never know where these guys are going to end up, you know? Yeah, yeah. for sure.
2: Um, so jumping out of the fantasy world for a second, uh, Peter was also wondering best minor league atmosphere that you've
0: ever been to. So atmosphere, so not, not ball practice, the atmosphere. Um, if you can divide the two. Yeah, it, it's it's all great atmosphere, really. You know, especially the family atmosphere, and me being mm-hmm. a family man, be able to bring my kids to the game where they can, you know, enjoy the mascot and all the little fun between inning games that go on right. on the fields. All, all the added stuff where it, just, it makes it really a great family atmosphere, and a, a lot of ballparks do that well. And I'm, I'm I haven't been to a ton of ballparks. Now, I live in Maine. It's hard for me to get to, to a <laughs> lot of the parks outside New England, but. You know, uh, New Hampshire, Manchester, the uh, Northeast Delta Dental Stadium. That's a great – it's a fairly new ballpark, I believe. Um, it's a lot of great atmosphere. I went up down to Dunkin' Donuts Park down in uh, Hartford, Connecticut. Um, that was a great park down there. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good ones in New England, too. But obviously, there's a lot of good ones around the country. But just the atmosphere in general is – it's really great. When when they realize it's a family thing and
1: cater to that, It's it's always great. Nice. Yeah, it's hard to to pick a specific one. I think I've probably been to about ten different minor league stadiums, but obviously I'll be biased to my local in Greenville, uh, the Floor Field. The the drive they've got a, a great atmosphere. The the ballpark's kind of modeled after Fenway, which is pretty cool. And so they got the Mini Green Monster. The atmosphere is always good. And I mentioned that game 2019 opening day it was the best atmosphere I remember because Dustin Pedroia was rehabbing, and it was just mm-hmm. packed house. So pack house and everybody was going crazy every time he came up or did something. So that was kind of like the atmosphere that's, that still stands out to me in a minor league game. Like you said, the family atmosphere is great. I don't have kids yet, but I've got one on the way. And so I think about that too, just, and I think about, you know, what the MLB is doing with the minor league and it makes me so sad because minor league ball is what it is for a reason. Like it's great because it is that family atmosphere because it's fun, because they mm-hmm. connect with the community. And, you know, I hope that the MLB won't take all these away as we were seeing, sadly. So I'm going to keep, keep my fingers crossed that we still have minor league ball as normal for for the foreseeable future. You, you yeah. just reminded me of something too. Um,
0: I, f- I think it was 2018 opening day in Portland. It's when the uh, Binghamton Rumble Ponies were in town, the Mets that <laughs> So Pete Alonso was there, but then the big draw, which made everything crazy, Tim Tebow was there. Oh, and that was ridiculous. I have never seen um, in Portland, which I think capacity is 6,000 and something there. I have never seen that place that. And I've been to playoff games there over the years. I've never seen that place that packed, that crazy. You've seen the line down the right field line to get his autograph was ridiculous. All the the kids, I didn't even try. I'm like, nope, not going down there. Um, But yeah, and and also uh, a Red Sox pitcher was rehabbing too. I'm drawing a blank. It was, he's not on the team anymore, but um, yeah, Red Sox Special was rehabbing as well. Um, So yeah. And we had another one, David Ortiz rehabbing down here in 20, it was 2008. It was a gift from my girlfriend at the time, her parents. And we all went and we sat out in the right field pavilion seats and his first at bat, he hits this like short fly ball to right field, but everyone saw the ball coming our direction and was For reeking out, I'm like, that is 150 feet short of the wall. Like, everyone's like, oh my god, getting up, trying to. It was gonna be a a home run. Um, yeah. So the the Tebow craze, and then when
1: when Poppy came through town, uh, that was that was great as well. Yeah, Tebow was actually so he was in Columbia, South Carolina with the Mets organization. The one game I went when he was there, he didn't even play. He set out that day. I was like, are you kidding me? And like, he never came out or anything. I don't know what happened but I was like, we went just to, I wanted to go see him. I want to see if we get an autograph or something. And he didn't even come out or play. I was like, what a a poor day to do this. If it makes
0: you feel better. I missed the Pete Alonzo mammoth blast of that game. I went to get, um, I think I went to get a beer or something or some popcorn and he had an absolute shot apparently. So I missed an (laughs) Alonzo blast. So if that makes you feel a little better. Oh man.
2: Uh, So Mags, who's in the 30 team with us um, was asking, how should league size and roster size impact dynasty rankings or player values? And with that, what factors or positions would you weight differently based on league size or roster size?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. You know, obviously, you know, in, in, deeper leagues, I tend to value pitching even more, um, just cause it thins out so quickly. And it, obviously all positions do as well. Um, yeah, but definitely in deeper leagues, I value pitching more. Just I, I, I don't want to be stuck with, like, I'm trying to think of a middling pitcher here. Like, I don't need Jacob Rizzi as my two. You know, so like I don't need this, like, SP, you know, the 60th or 70th guy being, you know, one of my top guys. So, I tend to, to get a little more pitching heavy in those, just trying to get a couple of studs. Because pitching is so, it fluctuates so much year to year. We've seen, it, you know, there's only a few that are, like, really good every year. We've seen these guys go up and down so much. Um, especially recently, with you know the rise of how relievers are being used and pitchers going less, so getting getting those studs that you can rely on, I think that's one thing I take away from from deeper leagues and you know kind of focusing more on on the pitching and the, especially the high end pitching for deeper leagues.
1: Yeah, I, think, I definitely agree. Uh, the replacement level is so different when you're in a 30 team versus a 15 team. Yeah. So we talked about that earlier with the depth and how important that is, but you mentioned. I actually talk a lot about Max was we DM a lot back and forth just talking about dynasty and baseball. Yeah. But thinking about this is tough because like should we have different sets of rankings based on this? I don't know, but definitely factors in how we rank and evaluate players, especially from like a, a prospect standpoint. We mentioned that too. I mean, all day I'll trade Christian Robinson, who's a top ten prospect in my book, for for a stumbling down the ranks Chris Bryant, because we know we're going to get solid production at Bryant. And I'm not, I'm not overly worried. Even if he doesn't return to peak form, I still think he's more valuable than than K-Rob. And that's not to knock that trade. I, if you're listening, whoever made the trade with Eric, it's not knocking that, <laughs> but it's just, just what I believe. And I'm saying yep. sometimes we dream too much on the hype of the prospects. So getting that, and he said, what factors or positions would you weigh differently? Starting pitcher, definitely. Like you said, Eric, that's, that's important. I just look in all these redraft leagues I'm doing how quick starting pitcher thins out like these best 12 team best balls, and starting pitcher is gets thin by like, and not even in best ball, but ADP's like 120. I'm like, man, where all the starting pitchers go, and so having you know several solid arms is is huge in in a deeper league, and even catcher playing a 30 team with one catcher is like playing a 15 with two catchers, and that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, like. I'm not going to go out and pay up for the best catcher, but having a solid catcher, I think is very helpful in a league like this. So you mentioned like Sam Huff, who is probably going to be streaky, but he'll still provide some good value for you. Oh, be a gamer. Like, he's like
0: yeah, 12 to 16 range, I think. Right. Better, yeah, right. better than getting stuck with a guy that's hitting, you know, 220 and playing, you know, only half the time. So I've got Tucker Barnhart as my catcher. So, yeah. yeah I good, good example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good example. <laughs> uh.
2: So relating to the pitchers, when uh, Ziggy Bud asked and you know, a thirty teamer, what's the latest you wait to get your SP one? And would you look at maybe a double tap, doing a pocket ace of strategy, maybe if you got a late pick one? Um, yeah.
0: Uh, I th- I think in the draft I would one of my in thirty teamer I want one of my first three picks to be a pitcher. Obviously you have, to, you have to see how the board plays out, but you know and there might be a huge pitching run and you miss out, but ideally and obviously draft slot too definitely factors into it Um like if you're back end of you know p- picking 30th you got so 30 31 and then pick 90 so maybe you know if you're back end of these types of drafts maybe in one of those first two spots you know will be i'll, I'll take a picture and maybe if i'm picking early and getting like four and then like you know two picks right around 60 you know 57 and 64 or whatever it may be and maybe I'll probably, maybe I'll wait, but definitely first three rounds in, in the league of this deep, that's where I want my SP one.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you, I think you have to realize that you're going to be weak somewhere. Like yeah. in a thirty team league, you're yeah. not going <laughs> to after the initial draft. You're not going to be stacked at every position. So if you do double tap on pitchers at the beginning, you're gonna you're gonna miss out on some elite bats. So it's just weighing what you want, and it makes it tough. But I think you have to get a solid, at least one solid you know even if it's around pick 60 and you don't really consider him sp1 it's still something you you need to have if you wait into the 100s like i did you're stuck with lance mccullers as your sp1 (laughs) and so then you really have to to dig out of a grave luckily you know you hit on corbin burns late you're going to hit on guys late like that but it's nice to have a solid floor for an sp1
2: Okay. Our next question comes from GC scanner or Sanner. Sorry, dude. Uh, asking about Daz Cameron's late season streak. Was it fluky or do you think something changed and he's heading the right direction?
0: Man, Daz Cameron is one that I've never really fully gotten behind. You know, he's one where the, the hit tool has been his downfall. where so inconsistent with the approach. He's walked a, a decent amount, but You know, the the pitcher recognition skills just haven't really developed too much. Or, you know, he's very, you know, solid defensively, got good speed. I think he'll be, you know, with Detroit, with just not much in his way. So he could be, you know, a starter there for a bit. But let's say he was on, you know, San Diego or Tampa or, or maybe like Boston or something like that, teams that have more established outfields. I don't know if he's breaking in anytime soon. Uh, I think he's more of like a second division regular a guy that could start for, you know, the, the mid market, like Kansas cities and Pittsburgh's and Detroit's of the world. So I think he'll definitely get a shot. Um, so I know he's, you know, they've liked him for a while since they acquired him from Houston years ago. Um, but yeah, I think this, that hit too is going to make him streaky where he's going to have those, you know, solid weeks. And then he'll go into, you know, a funk for a few weeks. I think this is how he's always going to be very streaky End of the day, he'll have the good speed and, you know, he'll give you a little bit of pop, but. Um, he's that one I'm really valuing too, too high long-term. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, I'm not, not fully buying in. Like you said, there's, there's a lot of concerns. I, I really don't see the hit tool developing to average, honestly, like probably 45 hit, which is yeah. below average. The powers average, the speed's good. The speed's what he's got going for him. But again, yeah. I just, it's not going to play up. He strikes out a lot, which is concerning, so when you're striking out at huge rates in in the lower levels of the minors, you know you, that doesn't always trans normally translate well at all, honestly. Yeah. And so I don't know. It's he's going to probably get some run this year. I'm not expecting much at all. He may be a, a decent, super deep late round flyer in like like draft and hold type leagues, but even in dynasty leagues, just I don't know. I just think some people are holding on to the name value because yeah. of who his dad is, but. I don't see a whole lot to love here. Yeah, I don't think he's going to dazzle us anytime soon. <laughs> Ayo. Oh, <It's>... Dad jokes.
0: <laughs> That's all that I'm going to I, I, he I was, got what, Eric jokes. was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> Just for me to finish so he could say that. Maybe. <laughs> oh, okay.
2: That was the prep Eric did for the fun. Yep. Okay. Uh, Kelly asks, who has a better career? or Gonzalez. I think you guys touched on this on one of the tool sheds in terms of just guys from the last draft. And I mean, Eric, you've got being ahead of Gonzalez in your rankings.
0: Yeah. Is that the answer? I mean, yeah. Um, well, they, they mentioned career. So I think yeah. this isn't maybe it's not specifically a fantasy question, but you know, career, I think this would be very close, honestly, because while well, I think Veen is a, a better overall offensive talent and he's going to play, you know, probably a corner outfield spot more likely. And then, you know, Gonzalez is going to play either second or short. We'll see how um, how Pittsburgh wants to use him. But you know, I think he'll have more impact that way. So you know, overall, I think they're both going to be pretty damn close. Like, Yeah, I have Veen a little bit ahead, but I like that Gonzalez as well. He's got a pretty high floor with that hit tool. Uh, one of the better hit tools in the draft, not quite Austin Martin level, but you know, kind of that when rung down from that. Definitely a plus hit, a little bit of pop, a little bit of speed, solid defensively too. So I think that, but I think they're both gonna have pretty good careers. But yeah, I'd, I'd give the slightest of edges to Bean because I think he has that potential to be, you know, a, a stud where he could be. You know, the Bellinger comps have been there, and mm. you know, he, he hate throwing those types of comps on, on young players that are you know 18 and haven't had their <laughs> you know first minor league at bat yet. But he has that potential to be an absolute stud. So. Um, and I think he has a fairly high floor for someone his age, too, as well. He has a, he, everything you hear, he's a hard worker, high baseball IQ, just a just a great guy. So, um, all those intangibles that don't really get talked about too often are, are there for Veen. So, it makes me feel, you know, fairly more confident than with
1: most you know high schoolers that, that he'll have a pretty good career. But they, they both should be pretty good. Yes. Yeah, you you said it pretty well. I mean, Gonzalez has a really safe floor. I think he's just going to be a solid contributor across the board he'll be he's not going to stand out anywhere I don't think maybe batting average but overall like career-wise you I think that they may have similar careers but Veen has the, the chance to be like very special he has that super high ceiling where if he does hit then he's going to have a special career while Gonzalez I don't see him having that that next level while he he's probably safer than than Veen just he's not going to hit that huge upside that, that Vein could hit so it's close but we'll, I'll just stick Vein because I, I have Vein ranked higher in my rankings at least for fantasy yeah <laughs> yeah okay. okay
2: great um anything before we get going that you all want to plug um definitely listeners should go listen to the Fantrax prospect tool shed if they haven't uh Eric you're also on Fantrax Five Tool uh, Pod, yep. you guys like using the word "tool" in podcast names?
0: Yeah, I realized that after we, we made the for uh, Tool Shed. I'm like, yeah, both my podcasts have the word "tool" in it. What's, what's going on here? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, def, definitely. You know, it's been you know, it's been really fun. You know, Five Tool has been great. You know, we started that back in March with with Jake Devereaux and Jesse Roche, and then you know, Chris and I starting you know the Tool Shed a couple months back. Um, only done six episodes so far, but it's been an absolute blast, and the support has been great. So yeah, definitely go check it out. Leave us, uh, you know. If you would leave us a five star review in iTunes, that's great. That definitely helps our, you know, all the placements and you know, visibility and all that, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, just check out everything on. We got going on HQ. Now I've had to slow down a little bit on the content side as I've been doing a lot of fantasy baseball black book work um, behind the scenes. I'm still writing a ton. Nobody's really seeing it right now. <laughs> um, that, that's wrapping up within the next week or so. Here, so we got to send it to the uh, printers in about, I think, like the 12th or the 13th. So. Um, then I'll be back up full force and Chris is hammering out a ton of content. So we got a lot of work there. And then the quick thing, um, you know, obviously everyone heard about the passing of the, of John Cavano, Sal Notes, and you know, there's a, a GoFundMe going on. I have it I posted it, some others have posted it, you know, Chris Blessings and Ralph Liff, just everybody has really posted it, um, to help his family with the the cost that goes along with a, uh, a tragedy like this, a funeral cost and burial and all that. So um, if you find that and just anything helps or if you just want to share it around that, uh, that helps as well. But um, yeah, so I have that on my page. If you want to take a look at that.
1: Okay. Yeah. Anything in particular you want to put out there, Chris? No, man. He said he found all work on Fantrax HQ and the podcast over at the Tool Shed. Um, thank you again for all the support. Still new, but and the reviews and ratings have been great and all the comments and those that have reached out extremely thankful for that. Uh, you, you guys are the reason that we do this. You, the reason we pod, the reason we write because of the yep. support of the, the readers and the listeners. So we couldn't do it without you. So thanks. I also want to plug Nate because he does so much behind the scenes commissioning leagues, and that's not a fun job, but he does it. <laughs> and so he's just starting up this podcast. So y'all be sure to give him a good uh, rating and review also, so we can get the word out about, his new pod. So man, thanks for having us on. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks both for joining. Yeah. Thanks. This was, this was a blast. Yeah, for sure. Take care guys. You too.
2: Thank you for listening to the commissioner's office. Before we wrap it up, some final housekeeping. If you want to join a league like the 30 teamer we talked about today, we've got a few spots left in a new 30 team Roto Dynasty Startup. If a 15 team points or 14 team head to head Dynasty Startup is more your speed, we've got some openings in those as well, and of course, all of them are in Fantrax. Reach out to me on Twitter for more information on those. Don't forget to follow Eric at EricCross04 and Chris at RotoCleg. You can catch them both on the Fantrax Prospect Toolshed and Eric on the Fantrax 5 Tool Pod. You can also read them over at HQ. You can follow me at Dynasty One Stop and find links to open leagues and my website to learn more about the services offered. Feel free to email or DM me any questions about the leagues or anything else fantasy baseball. Links to follow Eric, Chris, the podcast, and me are in the show notes. Also, the page that Eric mentioned to help out John's family in the midst of this tragedy is linked below as well. Finally, Please remember to rate and review the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. You can support the pod through the link in our show notes. That's all from the Commissioner's Office. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and always read the Constitution.